On today's podcast, Jim and I will be discussing a study we came across that details how long parents lose sleep after having a child. Spoiler alert, it's brutal. Hi everyone, this is Dave from the Papa y Fatigue podcast, the podcast for dads by dads. Jim and I saw an article the other week entitled, How Long Do Parents Lose Sleep After Having a Kid? You should probably sit down. And let me tell you, the data is ugly. So today we're going to be discussing how long it took for us to get a good night's sleep once we became parents. But before we get started, here's a little bit about us. I'm a father of two. I have a seven-year-old daughter and a four-year-old boy. Yeah, I'm Jim. I got two daughters, one seven and one four. So uh, this study is from the aptly named journal called Sleep. And it was conducted in Germany over the course of eight years. And here are the key findings. The peak of sleep deprivation occurred within the first three months after a new baby's birth. Sleep quality and quantity did not return to pre-baby levels until six years after birth. Moms reported losing more sleep than dads, especially during the first few months. Women reported losing an hour of sleep per night during the first three months after childbirth and then 40 minutes on average for the first year. Men reported losing on average 13 minutes of sleep by that same three-month mark. Interestingly, parental age, household income, and dual versus single parenting were unrelated or only very weakly related to improved sleep. And breastfeeding slightly increased the negative effects of childbirth on sleep satisfaction and duration among moms. So there's a ton of stuff to unpack there. And we thought we would talk a little bit about our experiences. So Jim, if you could, you know, just kick us off here and and tell us a little bit about, you know, how things worked with your firstborn. So the title of this podcast and the the merch that we have came from my experience. I was really not prepared for the level of sleep deprivation and, and how sensitive I was to, to the lack of sleep. And, you know, they say this 13 minutes of sleep a night that we miss, but what's important to understand is that that sleep is cumulative. Sleep deprivation is cumulative. And so over the, you know, it's a little discouraging to me. My youngest is five, let's say another year or two. So and put add that to my firstborn. So that I'm looking at 10 or 11 years of, of sleep deprivation. And obviously you adapt and, and get used to it, but I am, I'm tired. And I had also the idea that parental age doesn't come into effect. I don't believe it. I'm sure that younger dads can handle it better than I can. <laughs> But I mean, I mentioned it before, I thought that there were days when I thought I was really going to hurt myself, that I was just sleepwalking through the day, I was going to walk in front of the bus or something like that. And looking back on it, it started really early. My seven-year-old was born a little bit early, and so we spent some extra time in the hospital. And uh, my wife needed some medicine, seven-year-old at the time needed some extra attention. And so we were being interrupted every two or three hours. The nurse would come in and give medicine or we'd have to eat or the, uh, we'd have to feed the, the seven-year-old. And it was so disruptive over two days that I felt like I was, like I was losing my mind. It was, it was rough. And so after three days, I, I felt like we had to get out of there. Once we got home, it didn't really improve all that much. And I think that the, we had the same sort of disruption. Mostly what made it so hard is that we were dealing with colic. And I didn't know what colic was. And now I know it's this little baby acid reflux. And so, so the seven-year-old wanted to eat because the milk would wash down the throat and would make her feel better, but then her stomach would be full, and so then it would come up, and then she'd have that reflux reaction. So she had to sleep sitting up, and we had to monitor the food pretty carefully. So either Aaron or I were going to be up all night, sitting in a lounger, holding on our chest. So it was, for the first six months, nine months or so, it was, it was rough. We were sleeping half nights on a chair, and I just wasn't getting enough sleep. 
Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting that, you know, your experience was so rough. I mean, I'm not saying that mine wasn't, but we had a very different time in the hospital. And I think that, you know, look, it's a reflection of the fact that babies are all very different. So I very vividly remember being in the hospital. We looked at each other and said, our daughter is so calm, like she's sleeping, you know, <laughs> sleeping like a baby, right? And we got lucky. And I remember thinking, yeah, you know, they always have these like little edge cases where kids are, they do great. And, you know, you hear about people that have babies that sleep through and we are one of the lucky ones. And, you know, I remember celebrating there for a little bit. And um, we got home and I would say within mm-hmm. a few hours, it just all fell apart. I mean, it was just nonstop crying and fussing. And we're like, what happened to this kid? Uh, that we knew in the hospital. And I mean, what a mess. And and so it was a bit of a shock because we really, for those first three days, were like, we are golden, we scored. Um, so that was that was uh, pretty brutal to kind of come to that realization. And I would say that one of the things that I was completely unprepared for was the fact that during the first, I think it's the first two weeks, you're supposed to wake that kid up and feed mm-hmm. them every two hours, right? Because yep. they lose birth weight. And so you're trying to get yep. them back up to birth. And I, I, why did nobody tell me this until we were on our way out the hospital? And so, you know, you just, you, you sit there thinking like, this kid has been up all day crying. Now they're asleep. I have to wake them up in two hours. Like, yeah. this is not cool at all. Um, and so, you know, kind of how we handle that during the nighttime is, you know, I wanted to, be as much of an active participant as I could and take as much of the pressure off my wife. And so while, you know, the decision was made to breastfeed, my role in it was to say, look, I will be the one, I'll set the alarm every two hours. I will wake up, wake her up also, mm-hmm. uh, check the diaper, change if need, and then hand her off uh, to my wife to breastfeed. And so I think that at least that way we shared the pain a little bit. And and so I, I felt like that that was my sort of nod to say, hey, you know, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. The other thing was I was always concerned about, I don't I don't want to say necessarily edge cases, but, you know, things like SIDS where, you know, you have this mm-hmm. sudden dramatic mm-hmm. thing that happens that, they're, you know, you still don't understand why it happens. And so I, I did so much reading up on SIDS and it, it clearly got to me subconsciously. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember every time she would cough or maybe she'd, you know, wing an arm out and hit the crib. I was up like a lightning bolt. I'm like, she's she's dying. She's dying. I mean, it was really that sort of uh, that much ingrained in me that the, the SIDS was kind of a big thing. And, and you know, I remember many, many times waking up in front of the crib without having any idea of how I got there. You know, it's just like, OK, what what happened? I, I guess she, you know, she coughed and I woke up and here I am. And and so, you know, you go back to sleep. So, yeah, I mean, um, those first especially the first few months where you're, you know, are they crying because they're cold, they're sleepy, they're hungry that, you know, like you just you don't know what's going on. And so there's so much happening um, that you're stressed out and then the kids crying. And, and so, yeah, those first few months, especially as you're just learning to be a parent are, I think, especially brutal. And, and I, there's no way I lost 13 minutes of sleep every night. I mean, it's especially in those first few weeks, it's just, there's no way. So yeah, I mean, you know, in looking back at that experience, you know, what kinds of tips or tricks did you kind of come up with to help you navigate those first, you know, few weeks or few months? When uh, when she got a little bit older, the firstborn, we and so we did breastfeeding as well. And we had this nice, this is a good tip. We had a nice little um, like sidecar that we strapped to the bed. And mm-hmm. so the baby would sleep on the bed, Aaron would sleep next to her, 
And then every two hours or when she cried, Aaron would just roll over and you know, pull her into bed. And then you know, they would just lay down. And I had the same feeling. I, when, when my firstborn got to a year old, I realized that I thought everything I, was, I did was going to kill her. You know, mm-hmm. strawberries, honey, yep, like yep. who knew about that stuff? Yeah. And, and I also had that SIDS kind of concern. And so I would never really sleep restfully. And, and especially when Aaron uh, was in the bed with the the newborn yeah. and so i'd kind of be awake and make sure she wasn't rolling over and you know I'd, i never really slept restfully the one of the things that helped is is alternating i know a lot of parents that did uh, other every other one i do one you do the next one that seems fair and we divided the night up 50 50 which helped because then at least we could get four hours of uninterrupted sleep and that was that was really helpful uh naps of course you know and i think we'll talk about naps at another time and then i spoke with some parents that had a night nanny and i think this was after we had our second kid and i that just blew me away that that was even a possibility and i don't know if it was an option for us but the the possibility of having somebody take care of your kid while you had a good night's sleep was was amazing so if that's a, something that's available to you i'd strongly recommend it yeah you know we so it's funny uh you talk about the this side-by-side sleeping i always worried that our daughter was going to get smothered by the boob and die. You know, like, what what a way to go, right? smothered right. by the boob and die and suffocated. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, those things are, um, you know, a little bit overblown. But you, you know, obviously you have to worry. And I think that's an interesting point that you bring up that even when you are sleeping, you're not ever fully comfortable when you have so much right. worry like that where, yeah, I'm like, okay, she's in the bed. Like I, I need to make sure that, you know, when everybody's asleep to just kind of keep tabs on stuff. And so, yeah, you, you never have any real restful sleep. I think at the beginning, uh, you know, in, in terms of the things that we did, yeah, you know, I agree. Like we shared the pain, certainly, you know, I talked about the wake up and change also, you know, at the beginning, my wife was having some problems, uh, with breastfeeding, um, you know, and, and that's, that's pretty common, but, you know, we tried all sorts of stuff. You know, we saw the lactation consultant, I think seven or eight mm-hmm, times in the first mm-hmm. couple of weeks. And, you know, so there are all sorts of new things to try. And a lot of them were bottle feeding because they're like, look, we just need to get, you know, something into your child. Uh, and so during that period where there was a decent amount of bottle feeding, yeah, we, you know, we sort of split things up. Um, and, and again, that, that was important also to, you know, sleep when they're sleeping, as you mentioned that, you know, right. the kid is going to run your life, just accept it and try and sneak in those naps when you can, uh, if that's possible. I would say the other thing is, again, you know, as, as we talk about sleep deprivation and, and the stress that comes, you know, especially if you have in-laws or just anything that uh, adds to the change in your normal routine, um, you know, just sort of be patient, right? There's just, everyone is on edge. Everyone's either stressed out or sleep deprived. And so if you need a break, take that break. If, you know, it's going to the gym or going for a walk or, you know, whatever, doing yoga, whatever it is, find something that can just take you away from it for, I think, just that little bit. And there are a few times where I'm like, I just, I got to get out of here. There's just, there's too much going on. And so I would just go for a quick drive, uh, you know, uh, 20 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever, just to kind of, have that moment of, of calm to just sort of reset was at least for me really, really important. And I would argue that actually I probably should have done a little bit more. I mean, it wasn't like I did it that often. It was maybe like once every two to three weeks, but I mm-hmm. probably actually needed a little bit more than that. Um, and, and, and so that those I think are, are, are important uh, to have, you know, the other thing that, that is interesting is, once you have that firstborn and you've gone through that process and, you know, you're, you're sort of a full 
you fully understand what it means to be a parent, I think. The second one is always very, very different, right? You're focusing less on, okay, what's happening now? You understand that, you know, if they're crying or if they sort of, you know, hit the side of the crib or cough, it's not the end of the world. It's not Mm -hmm. sins, right? So there's Mm -hmm. a little bit of difference there. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with your second born and how that changed between the two? When we got close to the due date for the second, uh, my wife and I were both very aware that we were having some like PTSD, that we realized this event was coming. We were going to go through this again. And we were like, we were kind of anxious. Like we wanted the the due date, but we really didn't because we knew it was coming. And we got really lucky. And the second was, I mean, she'd, she'd feed, go right back to sleep, sleep for four hours at a stretch in some cases. And kind of in a strange way, she just had a more independent personality. And I, and I think that's true. She still does. And we had thought that if the experiences had been reversed and then we had the easy kid first and then the difficult one second, like we just would have been at our wits end. I don't think that we would have known how to how to handle it. So having it in that order was important. And, it, you know, they say the second one is easier. It certainly wasn't my experience. And as I've said before, it's not what people forget to tell you is that you already have a kid. So, yes, the second one is easier, but you are it's the second one. So you've got a toddler who still needs attention and still needs uh, some night attention as well. And then you're taking care of the second one, which is easier as a kid, but just overall, it's more to juggle. Yeah. You know, we had a very similar experience where our second one was pretty chill. And I think that it's absolutely true that I think the challenge a lot of times for the second one, because yeah, you, you sort of know what you're doing this time around is the new thing is how do you manage the two kids And, you know, in some instances, your oldest one is old enough to understand sort of, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, in broad strokes, what it means that there's going to be a second child. And in some instances, they're too young to even understand. And all of a sudden, there's this new thing in their life, right? And, you know, I remember for us, a lot of what I did leading up was kind of figuring out how to, how to handle the the older one, who this is all very Mm -hmm. new to her. And, you know, they talk sometimes about you know, the older one regresses because mm-hmm. they see there all this attention is being lavished on the newborn. And so it's sort of important to me to kind of come up with a plan of action for, you know, that, that first little bit of time. And uh, we had talked to some friends who said what they'd seen a lot is people bringing presents that would be, you know, it's, it's basically the present from the newborn to the older child. And yeah, so we did that. We did that. And, and I remember... So with our second born, our oldest was at my parents' place for the, you know, the two to three days that you're in the hospital. And she came in or the prior to your, you know, your child being born. And and, and I remember when our oldest came in, she was very tentative, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I think part of it is, you know, being in a hospital, but then also like, okay, I, I know that there's this new thing here that is somehow part of my family, but I'm not really sure how this Mm -hmm. is all going to play out. And I don't want to say that the present you know, broke the ice. But I think at least there was something to be like, hey, you know, Mm -hmm. welcome to you too. And so that's one thing we did. The other thing was that I had planned to take her out to dinner across the street. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a bunch of restaurants across the hospital. I'm like, okay, when she comes in, I think they came in a little bit before dinner time. We'll spend some time with the baby and then I'll, I'll take her out to dinner. And so my parents and I and, and our daughter, we went across the street. I'm like, oh, we'll eat here. And she was adamant. She was like, no, let's go back to the hospital. You know, mm-hmm. I want to see what this what this deal is all about. So that was kind of, okay, a good sign. And then the weekend, that first weekend, 
I had planned for us to go on an outing. So we went to Pier 39 and, you know, we were just in one of those stores and I'm like, all right, you know, I'll, we're going to buy a keychain to sort of commemorate this. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I'm like, all right, you can go pick a keychain out. She, she picked the keychain out and then she pulls another one off and she says, this one is for my brother. And I'm oh, like, that's sweet. Okay. This feels like we're going to have hopefully a good relationship between the two kids. And so, um, you know, that was, I don't control that, right? That's who she is. There's nothing I did to help foster that in her, but that was helpful. And I think that is also somewhat helped the whole transition with the second one. Also, you know, in terms of, you know, the feeding and the sleep schedule and her understanding that, you know, this other thing needed some attention. And so that was, that was helpful. But, you know, in terms of the actual sort of day to day and, and managing things, I will say that, you know, because I sort of understood that a cough wasn't the end of the world, I, I did mm-hmm. um, honestly, unfortunately, sleep through probably more of the, the, the nursings than I should have, in all fairness to my wife. So, um, yeah, that, you know, it, it is it is very different. So, you know, flash forward, you know, whatever, seven years later, a few years later, what is your nighttime routine like now? Because, you know, from the survey, right, it's, it's six years before you get back to having sort of a normal pre-baby schedule. Your oldest is seven, my oldest is seven, and the youngest ones are, are five and four. Talk a little bit about, you know, do you, do you see the light at the end of the tunnel? What are the new challenges that we have with, with sleep routines now that they're a little bit older? Yeah, I've just surrendered to it. It's <laughs> just trying to do what I can. But, you know, before we move on, I want to make a comment. This may is probably a whole other conversation, and you've reminded me, probably the most emotional moment I had as a parent was bringing the older one in to meet the younger one. And it was it was terribly complex, and it was very – you being you reminding me of it, it is something that, that was very profound. And, and for me, it was an experience of we were ending a chapter, right? It was no longer just the two of us and my first daughter. It was now something else. We were starting a new chapter. But that ending really hit me. And then seeing my older come into the, the hospital room and just have this – as you said, she didn't really know what was going on, but she came in with this sort of like little kid bravery of just let's go in and see what this is like. And it was very moving to me. But in any event, like I said, that's probably another conversation. When I say I surrender to it, I am I usually handle bedtime with the girls and, I'll, you know, we get into bed. I try to do about 7 or 730. <laughs> I once joked to a friend of mine that early on, I started putting them to bed at 10 o'clock in the morning. Right. It was, you know, get, get the snack at the right schedule, get the nap at the right schedule, yeah. make sure they don't nap too long and set up that whole day so that when we got to bedtime, it was going to work. Anyway, about 730, we kind of start calming down. I dim the lights in the house. We have some quiet time. I give them a little snack so they don't wake up hungry in the middle of the night. Uh, and then we'll all get in the, the big bed, uh, as we call it. And I will read stories or I'll tell stories to both of them. And they'll fall asleep, you know, one in each shoulder, one in each arm. And it's one of the most precious memories and continues to be one of the precious memories I have as a father. And then I'll fall asleep, too. You know, I got these two little warm, snuggly, snoring things on either side of me, and I'm, and I'm out. And then I'll probably wake up about 1230 or 1 o'clock in the morning. Or uh, when my wife comes to bed, she'll, she'll carry them to, to uh, their beds. Or when I wake up, I'll carry them to their beds. And it is, I mean, it seems to work. It's kind of high maintenance. Uh, my brother and his wife did some really aggressive sleep training with their kid. And it was hard. It was heartbreaking to hear. You know, we went on vacations or we'd be staying over at their house. And they would let him cry it out. But in, in a way that we heard the cry out, the crying out method was you let him cry for a little bit. And then you go in and comfort them. And then you put them back down to bed. And they just let him cry for 
for you know sometimes an hour and it was heartbreaking to hear but he reaped all the benefits of that and in some i mean his kid doesn't remember any of that you know it's i don't think it caused any lasting trauma in any way and they went to bed very easily so at in their house eight o'clock kids going to bed read a story lights out and that's it so our experience and our routine is much more high maintenance but like i say you know they're not going to fall asleep in the bed with me forever i'm going to kind of enjoy it while we while we have it yeah, you know, we're so we're similar uh or we were similar in that sense. So, you know, over here I I am responsible for nighttime routine similar to you. My wife, it's not atypical for her to work, you know, past midnight 7 days a week. So, a lot of times the the nighttime routine falls to me. So, you know, kids in bed by 7:45 usually and then, you know, you get about a half hour of stories. Uh so 8:15 lights out. And so I read in their room. For us, weekends are better than weekdays because our four-year-old still is at a school that they allow them to nap, which mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is kind of brutal for me on the on the night. So, you know, on a weekday, um, our oldest usually, you know, eight fifteen lights out. She's asleep maybe in half an hour, but um, on a bad day, uh, our youngest can go until about ten or ten thirty yeah. before he's asleep. So he's just kind of hanging out in the room for you know, two hours. And usually he's in the bed for those two hours. Um, but that, that is problematic for me. Um, so, you know, weekends are much better because he doesn't have the nap and usually everyone's asleep by nine, nine thirty at the latest. Um, but yeah, you know, we were a little bit slower on sleep training as well. We, we did sort of go back and forth on the whole cry it out thing. And yeah, that's, I think, you know, that's one of those things you either do or you don't do. You don't, there's no half ass in that. Right. And, you know, I think we were sort of on opposite ends where I wanted to get those kids sleep trained a little bit earlier. And my wife was a little bit more hesitant to that. And I think, you know, part of that was similar to you. She enjoyed going to sleep with the kids. And, you know, rightfully, the thing is, it's a moment in time, right? You're not going to have a 13-year-old kid sleeping with you, nor should you. And so it's kind of like, this is that age where they're happy to do that. And and so there's some level of, uh, it's never coming back again. And so, you know, we were kind of sleeping with the kids off and on until maybe five or six. Um, my wife much more so than I. And then I would say maybe in the last, I don't know, feels like six months to a year, but I don't know with all this coronavirus, I mean, who knows when it actually started, but, (laughs) um, but, but we started to transition a little bit away from that. So when we decided that we were going to sleep train them a little bit, it was like, okay, we're going to go from sitting right there next to them while they go to sleep to maybe a foot away and then moving two feet away. And then now we're in the middle of the room Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. eventually you work your way into the hallway. And so, you know, you're just in a little chair, you know, doing work late at night while the kids are, are starting to go to sleep. And, you know, sort of in between then we've had a little bit of a, about with something that appeared to be sort of night terrors with our Mm -hmm. oldest one where, you know, she would just wake up screaming and you don't know why. And, and, you know, when you ask her, she's sort of unresponsive and, you know, it was, it was concerning and, and kind of scary at the beginning. And then, you sort of get into a habit of, okay, well, you know, it happens here and then. And, and in the morning she has no recollection of what happened. So it, it doesn't seem like mm-hmm. it affected her. So, you know, today the seven-year-old's pretty cool. She can sleep on her own. You know, we can turn off the lights and she's good to go. The, the kids share a room. So I think maybe that's helpful. So they're, they're not only do they share a room, but while they have bunk beds, they sleep together. They choose to sleep together. Mm-hmm. And so that probably is a little bit calming for her. You know, the four-year-old, he's not ready yet. So I'll flip out the lights and I'll go back in the living room and work. And 
he'll probably come out three or four times and he'll just ask me questions like, can you have a fire truck in outer space? And, you know, <laughs> you know a, short, a short discussion about that. And then he'll, okay. And then he'll go back to sleep. So kind of the rule is when your sister's asleep, you can come and get me and then I'll go into the room and I basically sit in the closet and I'll do some work or, or read a book or whatever in the closet. And, and, and then he'll actually go to sleep faster that way. So that's sort of a, a stopgap to sort of fully being sleep trained. And I'm okay with that because I can still kind of get some stuff done. Um, so yeah, I mean, do, do you have any sort of besides that sort of trick from, from my perspective of getting a little bit further away from the kids, you know, what kind of tricks or tips do you have as it relates to getting the girls to sleep now? Your method is fascinating. That's sort of, you know, getting to an arm's length, just a foot at a time. That's really fascinating. And we've been, I've been more tolerant of the seven-year-old because my feeling, and it may be the same with your kids, is that there's a lot of anxiety and stress about this this time, about this last year. And I think it's just coming out sideways because kids yeah. don't have the strategies to deal with those those things. And so we had something similar. It wasn't night terrors, but uh, nightmares. And they were in maybe a different way. They were terrifying to watch because she was genuinely haunted. Whatever it was in the nightmares that were so serious that she it was traumatic, uh, which is why she now falls asleep with one of the parents, which is which is fine. And you know, I, we will end up having some distance and some time, you know, where she starts growing up and sleeping by herself. But for the time being, that's helped with the night terrors. Once they fall asleep and once they move them, and once we move them to their beds they don't wake up. They'll sleep the rest of the night. And that doesn't happen if we do it otherwise. There's always some, uh, as your kid, coming out, want a glass of water, they want a snack, they're too hot, they're too cold, they want to change their pajamas. And it's just kind of never-ending. So the way that we're doing it now is it seems to be calm, seems to be comforting to them, and seems to get them to sleep through the night. Well, I mean, I guess if our experiences are in line with the study, you know, we've got a, about another year or two more sleep deprivation. Yeah, right. So so at least we know what we're in for this time around. And, you know, with that said, if you're an expecting father, now you know what to expect. Uh, and if your kid's under six, you know, just keep counting down the days so you can go back to sleep. Uh, if you'd like to connect with us, head over to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash papa y fatigue. That's P-A-P-A-E-S-T-F-A-T-I-G-U-E. We'll put all the links in the show notes. Thanks for listening to the Pape Fatigue podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to get ideas and hear discussions around parenting as a dad. If you'd like to support the podcast, please head over to our merch store at papayfatigue.club slash podcast to pick up Pape Fatigue gear. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>